Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. We're in chambers this week, clearing the docket and joining me from the great city of Brooklyn, New York, is the man they call the the king of Brooklyn, (laughs) Judge John Hodgman. Brooklyn has no king. Brooklyn needs no king. We are in, we are in Kings County, though, for those county nerds out there for you. Kings County. You need to know. You need to know. You need to know what county you're in when you are registering to vote and when you are voting. So There are definitely types of nerds who still know every state capital. Do yeah, you that's think me. that there are county seat nerds? Do you think that some state capital yeah. nerds who learn yes. their state capitals yes. in fifth grade or yes. whatever yes. then move on to learn all the county seats? Like, does Ken Jennings know all the county seats? I don't know that Ken Jennings could name all of the county seats of every county in the United States. Not even Ken Jennings necessarily could do that. And that's why I'm going to devote what is left of my brain to knowing it. However, I am going to, I'm going to retain a piece of my brain, the piece that is always firing uh, on on all cylinder for the recording of the judge john hodgman podcast and i'm not going to use the part of my brain that is devoted to my love for the actor alan ruck we were having some great i'm sure our guest is gonna get this reference we're having some great bants some great bants before the some great banter yeah we were wrecking uh, it up we're just bouncing off each other love island uk style and I can and and one of the things that came up is Alan Ruck and what an incredible actor he is. Uh, going back to uh, you know whether it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off, America's greatest mythologizing of a high school sociopath, or Spin City, or as uh, that one guy in the Star Trek movie, or Succession, incredibly talented actor, criminally underused, but maybe he's doing maybe he's living his best life. Anyway, here's to Ruck. I'll introduce our guest on the program, John. We do have uh, a charming, delightful, august guest, uh, a major podcasting celebrity internationally. Yes, Yes, that's right, internationally. She's one of the hosts of Answer Me This, perhaps the UK's most legendary comedy podcast, probably its most legendary comedy and question-answering podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's the host of The Allusionist, a podcast about the English language, and she is the host of Veronica Mars Investigations, uh, which is about Veronica Mars, which is a television show. Uh, that's fun. It's a fun show, John. I don't yeah. know if you ever watch Veronica Mars. It's a very fun show. Uh, Helen Zaltzman. Hello. Does it have Alan Ruck in it? No, but it does have Steve Gutenberg, and he does it a great job. It has a lot job. of Steve Gutenberg. It has a lot of people in it who then became very famous. Like, there's a one-episode jessica chastain appearance mm-hmm. there's one episode of aaron paul mm. one paul rudd episode <laughs> finally paul rudd got famous <laughs> look got his big break yeah i love i love rudd everyone knows i love rudd but of the ru actors last names starting with ru i'm gonna go with ruck every time sorry paul let's shine a light on ruck that's right it's ruck's time now hey wait did we introduce our guest yeah helen zaltzman helen, helen zaltzman. zaltzman is our guest here what I a am. pleasure Hi. to have Helen here. It's great to see you. And by see you, I mean see you because we know now we are we're recording this using a, a, a little technology I invented called Zoom. Um, Congratulations. I yeah, I know, right? Hmm. No, some foreign government did it. I don't know. Anyway, it's a, <laughs> it's a little facial uh, data uh, capturing device called Zoom. And even though I'm giving my face away to this foreign government, 
I get to see you, Helen, over there in Brighton, England, which is where you are now, and Jesse over there in Los Angeles. And both of you are wearing incredible tops, incredible shirts. Helen, you have birds, or are those birds or grasshoppers on your I, on your shirt? I, I'd never thought of them as grasshoppers before, but now my mind is open to a whole different possibility. I think they're meant to be parakeets on little branches. And Jesse's looks like when you stick your fingers in your eyeballs and then it starts coming up with all these psychedelic shapes. Yeah. That's a compliment, by the way. I'm doing 80s Banana Republic over here. I'm all about safari vests. <laughs> you know, you mentioned in our pre-show pants, Jesse, that that was an early vintage Banana Republic shirt, and I felt you very keenly. That was my, my store to go to when I dreamed as a young man of buying a pith helmet. I would yeah, go colonialism is bad. I think we can stipulate that colonialism is bad. Yeah. However, uh, one thing which it wrought, the colonialism clothing theme park known as 1980s Banana Republic. Yeah, they had a Jeep going through the window. Come on. Yeah. But that shirt I never would have pegged for a vintage B-Rep because it's, as Alan points out, it's got a psychedelic air to it. it you look like a member of the Love and Spoonful. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Helen, on your podcast, Answer Me This, you answer a lot mm. of questions along with your co-host, Ollie Mann. And so many. I listen to every episode. It has been my quarantine comfort show. I have been listening okay. to both new and old episodes of Answer Me This as I uh, drive my uh, youngest son around hoping that he'll fall asleep in the back of the minivan. And um, I wonder, are you prepared to deliver not just answers, but now on the Judge John Hodgman podcast, Justice. Oh, I feel like I've been training for this for the 13 and a half years of Answer Me This. Finally, <laughs> my legal duties are coming upon me. Thrilled. I've got my scythe, my uh, hat, my wig, Judge's wig. Yes. Wait, I knew that judges in the UK wore wigs. They, they hold scythes? Do they do field work in between <laughs> I, threshing? I just thought... I just thought to add to the atmosphere, I should also bring a scythe because I couldn't sure. get a guillotine into the Airbnb I live in. But it's not just judges yeah, that wear the right. wigs. It's everyone in a criminal case, like the people that go and fetch the jury from the deliberation room have to wear like the full wig and bat cape. All of the lawyers. It's amazing. I think if you're in the jury, you're not supposed to come in wearing that style of wig. But I, I would be interested to try just to see what happens. Like, you're th wondering if possibly some jurors might just on a day-to-day -day basis in their regular life wear those curly, white, powdered, long, yeah. uh, 18th century style wigs. Yeah, and they like a mullet of very tight curls. Like, maybe the juror is like Grace Jones or something. Someone who has the has the self-possession to pull off such a thing in their day-to-day -day attire. And well, what if they... that was just your regular hair? Then what are you supposed <laughs> yeah. to do? Yeah, what if you have powdery white, tightly curled hair naturally? Yeah, talk about setting it and forgetting it. <laughs> you have to do some serious setting to lock that down. Well, let's get into the justice. Here's something from Serge. He says... A contractor recently did some work on our house and left a huge mess, including destroying a large part of our front flower bed. We cleaned it up ourselves, but I sent an email to the contractor saying I was really unhappy with how they left things. My wife thinks this was inappropriate because there's nothing they can actually do about it. I think they should know I'm angry with how things were left so that they can try and do better in the future. Who's right? 
Helen, let me ask you first of all: Is the term contractor familiar to you in uh, in England? Builder, basically. Well, I've educated myself in the vocabularies of other nations, John, to prepare for this moment. Oh, that's right. You are the host of a major language podcast. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I do apologize. And you know, as a child, I love to read about American building regulations and so forth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who didn't? You're famous for it. You're code crazy. <laughs> Up to code. That's going to be your new podcast about American building. Yeah, you spent time memorizing building codes that normal kids would have spent memorizing county seats. Yeah, that's right. It's just a bit mainstream, isn't it? Yeah. County seats. A little bit on the nose. Helen, have you ever written a letter of complaint? It takes a lot for me to do that because I'm essentially a coward. So I may have Mm -hmm. thought some pretty strong thoughts of complaint without transmitting them to the world. But I think in Serge's case... He's not unjustified. I think both he and his wife are kind of right in that the damage is irreversible. But if there is, you know, monetary damage to the flower bed that the contractors could recompense them for or to come and fix it, or would he not trust them to fix it after the damage they've already done? It depends on his motivation. Did he want something uh, palpable or did he just need his feelings to be vented? I'm going to treat this guy as a hostile witness because I think you put your your finger on something there, Helen. What is the intent? Now, I'm going to give Serge credit for not writing to Yelp, which is my, my as I've mentioned many times, Yelp is my, my favorite collection of short stories narrated by highly unreliable narrators. I could just go down that hole for and, and just marvel at people's self-deception. And as I've often added, racist parking obsessed. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, he's he did not. Serge did not try to go into a public forum to try to hurt this person's business, and yet I do feel that he is somewhat of an unreliable narrator because when he says, "I think they should know that I'm angry with how things were left, so that they can try and do better in the future," I do not believe that for a second. I do not believe that he wants them to improve. I think that he, he should have just said, I, I want them to know that I'm angry, period. Don't you think? Do you believe him, Alan, when he says that he, he genuinely wants them to improve? Um, I mean, that's really out of Serge's hands. Yeah. I, I certainly don't think that was the primary motivation. Well, and also I think that it is highly, highly doubtful that it will promote improvement. Jesse Thorne, have you ever received a letter of complaint? I'm a podcaster, John. (laughs) (laughs) And when someone writes a letter of complaint, how does it make you feel? Sad. Bad. Mad. (laughs) Desire to improve? Come into the the constellation of your feelings? Desire to quit the business. (laughs) (laughs) If, If the complaint is phrased as constructive criticism where they are educating me, then... I do tend to take it on board. But if it's just them trying to prove they're better than me, then I think, you know what, I'm going to get worse just out of spite. Yeah, <laughs> I think there is a way to frame a letter of complaint uh, that is respectful, that may be, as Helen so quaintly and Englishly said, <laughs> they they take it on board. Um, but it is a tough thing. That said... You know, I don't think it's unreasonable for Serge to write to them and say, hey, listen, uh, you made a giant mess in my yard. 
please don't do that in the future. Um, yeah. If we work together. I, I also think it's possible that, you know, depending on the size of the, the team that was working on this project, um, what kind of work it was, whether it was just an individual person, um, it, it may be that the person that they hired who's in charge of, you know, sales and customer service uh, in, the, in the outfit might not know that someone who's in charge of something else uh, is doing yeah. something counter to those goals. Absolutely. So there is the possibility that, that they might, he might actually be letting somebody know, hey, listen, uh, this guy you sent uh, really made a giant mess. In yeah. um, all, all those contexts, including directly contracting the person who did it, I, I don't feel uncomfortable with him saying, hey, please don't make a mess in the future. Um, and I don't think that the only reason that you would do that would be to seek recompense. Uh, I think it's worth saying to somebody, please don't make a mess at my house. Yes. Just think of future flower beds. Spare them this fate. Yeah. You may not know, but a flower bed in the United States is um, a place where we plant flowers. I think you would call yeah. it a flower trolley or a lorry. A lorry. Yeah. Flower sofa. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Sofa mm-hmm. or couch? What do you say? In England, they're called pants. <laughs> But sincerely, Helen, sofa or couch? I'd say sofa, John. Sofa, yeah, me too. Uh, thank so you for sorry. settling something in my own marriage. All right, anyway. <laughs> well, you are going over whether Helen Zaltzman says sofa or couch. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's why we asked you to be on. It's precisely right. <laughs> Honey, I won. I'm really sorry to come between you in this matter. That's it's very okay. important. Yeah, it's all right. We've got, we've got a lot more things to settle, too. So here's what I'm going to say about this guy. Serge, write your letter. Consumers, write your letter. Sometimes you do. You need to express anger because you're just upset. And sometimes you need to give feedback to a company or a service provider uh, so that they don't make the mistake again in the future. Rarely do these two moods intersect effectively. That is to say, if you are sincere, Serge, that you want to help them try to do better in the future, as you say, uh, then you must express that without anger. If you are sincere that you want them to know that you are angry, then do not try to fool us with your uh, pat on the back saying you just want them to do better. You just want to vent your anger. Because when you vent your anger to another person, I mean, and you express yourself angrily, which is the only reason I could imagine you used the word angry in this letter, Serge, it, uh, people tend to go, uh, no, thank you. People tend to say, close a window shade, tear up a letter, turn around, walk away, lock the door. If you really want them to do better in the future and alert them to some problems that maybe the company wants to know about for all, all the reasons that Jesse articulated, then you have to really just take a deep breath and you know do what I did when I had to let the waiter know that this is not an acceptable Cobb salad. And I... <laughs> And I hated it. I hated complaining to the waiter. But a Cobb salad is important. And if you had seen the gross green ring around this withered, half hard-boiled eggs yolk, you too would be angry. And I had to explain to my family members, I need to talk to the waiter, not because I'm angry, but because... All people do in restaurants is take pictures of the food and post it. And this is going to hurt their business 
if you serve this Cobb salad to somebody else again. And I, and I, and I, as, as you do, when you need to express something went wrong with your business, you have to say, I'm not angry and I don't know who's to blame, but you might want to know that this was not really acceptable and then tip your waiter a thousand percent at that point because it's not the waiter's fault. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, don't just post stuff on Yelp because that's just hurtful. Write your letters, express your anger or express your constructive criticism in a de-angrified way. And also the other thing you need to do, when you hard boil an egg, you need to immediately plunge it into ice water after you take it out of the hot water or else it's going to form that gross green ring around the yolk. Did you know that, Ellen? I did. I've spent my entire life trying to eliminate the green ring, John, and I will never stop trying. Now what I do is I just, I've had that printed on a calling card and I just leave it behind in every restaurant I go to. They love me. (laughs) And it also explains why you give that one cent tip. Here, you want a tip? Here's a tip. Plunge your (laughs) hard-boiled eggs into ice water, dummies. Hodgman out. Come on, Alan Ruck, we're taking our custom elsewhere. Oh, what a dream that would be to eat in a Cobb salad with Alan Ruck. All right. What if Alan Ruck likes a very, very hard-boiled egg with the green ring? It's, what if that's his not, style of egg? It's not about the hard... It's not about the hard... Alan, you know what? Alan Ruck would understand, Helen. It's not about the hardness. It's about the oxidization that is stopped when you put it into the ice water bath. You can cook that egg for as long as you want. Just plunge it in an ice water bath and keep that yolk ungreen. Alan Ruck would know. Cobb Salad with Alan Ruck, a new podcast by me, John Hodgman. Let's move on. Sarah says, every year, a good friend and I set a fiction reading challenge organized around a different set of parameters. He has started listening to audiobooks while working on other projects. This goes against the spirit of our competition and the goal of reinvesting in reading. I don't have any problem with audiobooks generally. And if he wants to listen to them beyond the scope of our arrangement, that's his business. But him listening to a book while he solders electronics, mows the lawn, or cooks dinner doesn't compare to the single-minded focus and unique pleasures of reading. He doesn't want to give up our tradition or the competition, so I am asking Judge Hodgman to order him to adhere to the original terms of our arrangement. Helen, you should know that these people write us all the time. These people have been coming at the Judge John Hodgman podcast for a decade, trying to say that listening to an audiobook is not the same thing as reading a book. That is very harsh of the people that re- that read via audio for all sorts of good reasons. Yeah. Oh, it's, I, I mean, don't want to discredit their audio reading experiences. Right. It's not merely snobby. It is also ableist. And yeah. it is a longstanding precedent of this podcast that they are absolutely equivalent experiences. And not one is not better than the other. Remember, everybody, all fiction began... As spoken word. <sighs> Helen, Whoa. I don't like to listen to audiobooks. You know why? I get distracted. Yeah, same. But that doesn't mean they're bad. No. If anything, Sarah should admire her friend for returning to the Homeric tradition of books in this way. But also, as adulthood advances, I find my time to read a book becomes more and more reduced. And so perhaps Sarah's friend cannot devote all the hours singly to reading and if he doesn't multitask whilst listening to the books then that's it for this rather charming 
tradition. How are his electronics going to get soldered if he's doing everything Sarah's way? Is he supposed to not eat dinner? Is he supposed to have an unmown lawn? No. Is he supposed to be alone with his thoughts? Ugh. (laughs) I just, you know, this is the newest and most novel way of getting, uh, of expressing the snobbery. Because Sarah right now is listening to this going, but I wrote right here. I don't have any problem with audiobooks generally. And what did you say? Stop lying to yourself, Sarah. That's right. You're trying to make Mm. it all about the spirit of the competition. When reading books should never be competition. I mean... Who needs that in their lives? Kids at the library in summer who are trying to get free baseball tickets. All right. That's fair. That's (laughs) fair. If you're trying trying to shock train an army of young people into a love of lifelong reading, bribery with baseball tickets is is one way to do it. But if you're actually- It worked for me, John. I have a lifelong love of baseball tickets. Is that what you said? Lifelong love of reading baseball tickets. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, let's say- this time last year, when we all had a lot more mental capacity for paying attention to book reading competitions, this would have been an acceptable debate. But in a year where all we're trying to do all we're trying to do is solder our electronics and listen to our, you know, NK Jemison or whatever and just not think about everything for a moment. Yeesh, maybe not have a book competition this year. Maybe just console yourself with books however you want. I have a good book recommendation that I found very consoling. Consolatory? Consolatory. Consolatory. Constabulary. Constellationary. Constabulary. I don't have a language podcast, so I don't know. Constant sofa. Our friend... (laughs) Our friend Elliot Kalin from the Flophouse. I, I showed up at his front door... Uh, just in a terrible emotional state, uh, begging for him to loan me a book uh, that would distract me purely and not upset me at all and be delightful the entire time I read it. And uh, he loaned me a movie book called The Studio by John Gregory Dunn. Uh, it It is a narrative. It is a narrative nonfiction about a year uh, at 20th Century Fox. Um, in Hollywood, 1967, 1968, yeah. as they make the ultimately, uh, the what ultimately became the semi-boondoggle Dr. Doolittle, uh, along with the monstrous surprise success Planet of the Apes and a number of other films. And it's full of like Gene Kelly uh, trying to make a Tom Swift movie and, uh, you know, Tom Swift in his flying lab. Mm-hmm. The movie you most associate with legendary screen dancer Gene Kelly. That's right. Um, Obscure turn of the century children's adventure fiction. Exactly, and it is a it is a hoot. This book it's called The Studio. John Gregory Dunn. If you're looking for a distraction, you could hardly read a more pleasant book and amusing. And it is also like genuinely fascinating and insightful about the ways that movie studios operated in the very last crumbling days of of big studios anyway helen book wreck helen what's your book wreck for consolation book what consul constabulary (laughs) um in england they call it a lift we call them bobbies um 
I don't know how cheering it would be, but I recently read the novel Silver Sparrow by Tayari Jones, which I thought was amazing. Oh, so, yeah. Strong recommend. It's beautiful. And did you read it Sarah style? That is to say, uh, with your nose in a book, or did you listen to it while soldering electronics? Uh, well, I've tried reading while soldering and created many fires and ah. many highly flammable electronics. So I just did it bookwise, but that's because I'm listening to stuff all the time for work. Right. And so listening to things for fun is not really a thing I do. Not, not to be a traitor to Sarah's friend. No, everyone has their own way of learning. Some people get it through the ears. Some people get it through the eyes. You don't need to have a book yes. fight to be friends. Some people through the nose, just yeah, just the smell. Oh yeah, do you ever yeah. do you do you ever enjoy an olfactory book? <laughs> it's the same experience. Dogs do. I love wafted learning. Yeah, you smell the words rather than see them. You can only do it if you have synesthesia, but it's worth it. Thank you for that <laughs> recommendation, Helen. I, say the name of the, I know Tayari Jones. Say the name of the book again. It's called Silver Sparrow. Silver Sparrow. I will put it down. Let's take a quick break. More items on the docket coming up in just a minute on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast always brought to you by you, the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org slash join. And you can join them by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura, A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame, you can upload as many photos as you want and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024. 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really 
help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. We're clearing the docket with our friend Helen Zaltzman from Answer Me This, uh, The Illusionist, and of course, Veronica Mars Investigations. Here's a letter from TC. He says, during the pandemic, I've been sitting down to urinate, which I feel minimizes the necessity to wash my hands. I make zero contact with anything and use my elbow to flush. I do this out of a not-so-irrational fear that as the second wave of COVID is mounting, supplies like soap may become dangerously scarce again. If I only have to wash on a 1 to 3 ratio, that will conserve our soap. Naturally, my wife thinks this is counterproductive, as we've been taught since childhood to wash your hands every time. Typically, I agree, but these are drastic times, and I earnestly feel I'm on to something here. To be clear, this only applies to going number one. I'm simply trying to figure out the most efficient method. Well, there you go. Yeah. The most efficient method to maximize our yield in case, you know, the world starts to really fall apart. I guess if that should happen, this is all a moot point. Has he considered stockpiling soap? Has he considered no longer urinating? Ingenious. He's just perpetuating his own problem. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that this guy has really exhausted the full potential list of crackpot schemes to avoid doing the simple thing that we not only know from common sense works, that we are actually asked to do by all of humanity to help stop the spread of this disease. Dude, knock it off with the scheme. You know, you're not going to save soap. I don't think he would stockpile soap, Helen, because I think I think what he thinks he's doing is reducing his soap consumption so that in some post-apocalyptic wasteland future, there will be a little soap left over that he didn't use for humanity. But it's like, I think you're more of a hero by keeping your hands clean rather than using less soap and describing in public how you sit down to pee like that doesn't make you a hero just wash your hands how true do we think the zero contact is because if he is sitting down on an open toilet not touching the seat and flushing with his elbow the toilet is still open and therefore the vapors of his urine are transmitted six feet it's a it's a droplet transmitting contraption he might be moving the toilet seat with his knee could be like a like a soccer player warming up. I don't know what that looks like. Like hacky sack style. I imagine this whole thing being hacky sack style. I think Helen points out the. I mean, the urine vapor argument is com- very compelling. Not merely because he's, he's either touching the toilet or he's got the urine vapors. Either way, I would suggest a hand wash. It's fairly <laughs> okay. straightforward. You're absolutely right. As you pointed out, Helen, it is a droplet spread disease. You are, you are putting yourself in closer, con- like the urine is 
connecting with the surface of the water. It is being agitated, and you're closer to it than ever, sir. I have to say this, John, though. Go ahead. One thing that I'm with this guy on is during the pandemic sitting down to pee. I don't do it for scheme reasons. I don't have an efficiency scheme here. I just don't have the emotional strength to stand and urinate at the same time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look. That's where I'm at. I just go in the bathroom and collapse. It's a great opportunity. I don't, I'm not against the, the, the method, although I, I agree with Helen that I think that, it, that, that its sanitary benefits are arguable at best. But take any opportunity to sit in a closed room to stare into the middle distance for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe That's pop the key in, here. Maybe pop in your, uh, your, your earbuds and, and listen to an audiobook. Maybe, maybe an audiobook called uh, The King of Dragons by Carol Fenner. Narrated by Alan Ruck. What about if he's showering, he soaps less then? That's a far bigger area of his body. You know, people get very overexcited on Twitter about whether you wash your legs or not. Has he considered washing less of his legs, perhaps, for conservation reasons? People are getting overexcited on Twitter about something? Hmm. I, I hesitate to raise it because I know that it's very important for some. The, this topic about washing your legs, though, I have to say, is one that I've not... It's the one Twitter fight I've not encountered. Please spare yourself. People are arguing that you shouldn't bother washing your legs. Or that you definitely should. You could get around it by just washing one leg, I suppose, and pleasing everybody. <laughs> Compromise position. Wash one leg. Avoid the urine vapors. Mike says... Every morning, I take my dog Bella out on a walk through our neighborhood. At the end of my street is a cemetery. Sometimes I'll walk through it with her. But I've recently been wondering, is it disrespectful to those people there to take my dog walking through? I always have poop bags and clean up after her if she goes to the bathroom while there. We always walk along the road, not through the gravestones. Attached are cute photos of our dog. It's a beautiful dog. Looks like a great friend dog. Yeah, a, a great friend dog? Yeah, great friend dog. Friend dog is a type of dog. That's like a dog that's big enough to give a, like a like a real hug to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And maybe it's not like, it's not like distinctively adorable in a, you know what I mean? It's not, it like, it's, it's all dogs are cute. But mm-hmm. it's not, it, cuteness is not its top quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, its top quality is that it looks like it would be a great and loyal friend. Like a lot of golden retrievers are really great friend dogs. That's right. Because you, you, you see it and you think, oh, I could really hug that. I could hug, I could hug that <laughs> and get all of the stuff that is caught in that dog's fur on my body, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Helen, do you have a pet? I don't, John, because I live an itinerant lifestyle and it feels unfair not to provide a stable background. But I used to, ha- I grew up with dogs. Um, and just trying to remember our cemetery policy. Well, first of all, all dogs go to heaven. That's established. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, though, because it was the 80s and 90s in Britain, people just left all the poop on the ground. Yeah. yeah. You can see that as a metaphor if you want, but it was also a literal truth. But I think uh, if I were to be dead in a graveyard, I'd be quite happy that a dog was using it for whatever ends they had in mind. All right. So, uh, Mike, first of all, just mark this down. 
Helen is in the prime of her life, a happy, healthy individual. This is not going to help probably your dog, Bella. Uh, but in the future, um, when uh, the, the three of us are all dead, you have uh, Helen's permission to poop on her grave. Yep. Your dog, your dog. You don't want Mike to poop on your grave, right? I think that would create further questions yeah. that would derail the immediate concern. Right. Bella or your future dog may poop on Helen Saltzman's grave. Make a pilgrimage. Jesse, can yeah. can Mike's dog poop on your grave? Yay or nay? Yeah, no, that's fine with me. I don't even know if I have a grave. Right. Burial at sea, that's what I say. Once a sailor, always a sailor. Yep, good point. In which case, Mike, bring Bella to the ocean and and have, yeah. and have her poop. Take her poop and throw it in the ocean in honor of Jesse Thorne. You know what I'd love to see? Someone tweeted me yesterday that their pandemic hobby is imagining themselves building mini electric boats, which he sent me a picture of this beautiful boat. And I thought this was like a a pond boat, like you would sail in Central Park in in an E.B. White novel. Yeah. Uh, But it wasn't. It's a boat a person sits in. They're like six or eight feet long. Uh-huh. Which is like Tiny. just the size. It's like a, a Shriner car. Yeah. But it's a boat. Yeah. That really works. Yeah. Now it's all I want in the world. Jesse, I happen to know a place where you can get four of them. But you, uh-huh. can, you can only buy them as a group. <laughs> They're for sale at Dreamboat Harbor. Google Dreamboat Harbor. It's run by our friends up there in Brooklyn, Maine. Off Center Harbor. Great organization promoting the, the, the love and craft of building and, and going in wooden boats. Not going, not pooping in. Get, take it easy, Bella the dog. Don't poop in this boat. <laughs> Getting into it and using it, sailing it or motoring it. But they only come in a multi-pack? The seller will only sell them all together. And I think that there are four of them and they're, they're about as long as Bella the dog. Like, you, <sighs> you would have such fun. We would have such fun together. All three, look, there are four of us here right now. Helen, Jesse, me, producer Jennifer Marmer. We're all getting little boats. I love Thank this God. outcome. Yeah, that's good. Now, as for me, I don't I don't know how I will be buried, but if I were if I were interred in the ground, keep your dog away from my gravesite. I don't want your dog's poop. People have different yeah. preferences. And since they do, I think it's better to err on the side of don't poop on graves. Now you say, Mike, that you only you only walk through the, the the roads in the cemetery, not over the graves, which is, I think is appropriate. I've done, I've done, I don't know if you guys have done, but I've done quite a bit of cemetery walking during the, uh, during the pandemic as a way to get outside, uh, particularly uh, Greenwood Cemetery, which is going to be less crowded than a lot of the parks uh, where young people just love to run and breathe on each other. The, the, the Greenwood Cemetery is a beautiful old historic cemetery in Brooklyn that is absolutely gorgeous to walk through and wildly depopulated. But in the early part of the pandemic, there was, there was a real problem because people were flocking to it with their dogs and their Frisbees and playing Frisbees and having their dogs poop. And dogs are not allowed in that cemetery. Mike, call the cemetery, find out. Is it Greenwood Cemetery? Because I'm going to tell you, dogs are not allowed there. Is it a different cemetery? I mean, if it's a historic cemetery and there's no office, then I would I would err on the side of 
it's okay to bring your dog through, but try to keep the poop to a minimum. But if a cemetery that is active and has an office, you call them and find out what their policy is. That was pretty cute. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll hear a case about anonymous notes. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. We're clearing the docket this week. Here's something from a listener about anonymous notes. He says, My wife and I received an anonymous note in our mailbox complaining about our fireworks. The writer also claims one of us rolled through a stop sign. Admittedly, we set off a single firework at 9 p.m. Monday, July 13th, and it would not be out of the realm of possibility that we could have rolled through a stop sign, so I plead no contest. In our defense, the firework I chose on the aforementioned date was the quite modest fountain style. I've been greatly harmed by anonymous complaints in the past as a minister in a small town. We were effectively run out of this town because of a small group of disgruntled anonymous parishioners. The pain of that experience brings up a lot of fear and anxiety when it happens now in a new context. I'm exceedingly kind and compassionate. Not to mention modest, I added the last sentence. <laughs> if I were approached in person, I would apologize and change my behavior. But when receiving an anonymous note, I become irate and irrational. How should I respond? I've attached photos of the note and of the firework we set off for evidence. Sincerely embarrassed and annoyed in New Hampshire. Do you mm. like the irony that this is an anonymous note? <laughs> Maybe they don't want to make themselves even more of a target. There are, there are many levels of cowardice here. Uh, Helen, do you have the note, the anonymous note that was left for the neighbor yes. in front of you? I'm just trying to read. The, the handwriting leans backwards, which I think some graphologists would see as a danger sign, depending on contraindications. The note says, neighbor, is it the 4th of July? No, it's the 13th, triple underlined, of July. Fireworks are done capitals underlined brackets and illegal fireworks you burnt i was walking by your house with my dog when you let off your lame fireworks i wouldn't use the word lame my dog freaked out and jerked forward to run away 
and it effectively threw out my back. I probably won't be able to pick up my daughter for the next two weeks. Thanks. Given you're new to the neighbourhood, maybe try and be courteous, particularly if you want the same from your fellow neighbours. While you're at it, stop rolling through stop signs too. You clearly didn't see the kids on their bikes last week. Respect your neighbours! Capitals underlined exclamation point. Thank you very much. That was a wonderful performance, by the way. Thank you. I trained. And, and I'm glad we were able to re-traumatize our anonymous listener together in this way, while also mm. revealing the awfulness of this letter, which is designed to hurt, not to help. Speaking of complaints that are designed to hurt versus trying to help. Yeah, you can't unthrow this back by writing this letter. No. Effectively. Yeah. But I mean, and, and as, as wonderfully as you read it, I hope you will not be offended. If we are able to get Alan Ruck to read it, we're going we're gonna to put that in instead. I concede to Ruck. All right. It's fine. You. As I did for Ferris Bueller. I was right to be recast. <laughs> Leave all of this in. Uh, yeah. Have either of you ever received an anonymous note from a neighbor? I never have, but uh, to be honest, I'm known for being exceedingly kind and compassionate. That's true. Fair enough. When I lived in a building with 21 other apartments, we received a note about a loud party we hadn't had. Mm-hmm. That they, which I felt offended by because I also didn't know who had had it, so I couldn't forward the note. Right, right. We'd had zero parties. You know, if you're writing a letter to your contractor or builder or flower bed lorry designer... You are at least signing your name, even if you're venting anger. Yeah. An anonymous note is not only, I think, intrinsically cowardly and threatening, but also the, the opposite of neighborly. You know, the point of reaching out to a neighbor, even if it's to convey something that's critical or difficult to talk about, is that you're trying to maintain a neighborly relationship. Yeah, it, it feels like... With this note, it must be by somebody who lives very close by. And so the recipient, how would they feel comfortable in their home being watched all the time by these people, none of whom they can trust, Yeah, and, just in case. And by the way, anonymous letter writer, we're on to you. Alan Saltzman's already identified you have a, a, a backward-leaning handwriting. It's just... It's a very strange kerning as well. Yeah, strange kerning. Thank you. Finally, someone notices the kerning. Yeah. I mean, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, and we and we know we know you live nearby. We know you have a dog and a daughter. Yeah, we know you can't pick up your daughter effectively. Yeah, you effectively can't pick up your daughter. What if the daughter's in her twenties? They don't <laughs> offer that information. What if they already couldn't pick her up anymore? Comfortably, my favorite part of this anonymous note, by a wide margin, is that they thought, "What were the consequences of the dog jumping forward?" Well, it was uncomfortable for me. I could say I threw out my back, but that wouldn't be true. Um, and I'm nothing if not honest. That's true. So um, I'm going to say it effectively threw out my back. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing that we know, we know, we know that they live in New Hampshire, and we know that the anonymous letter writer, the anonymous neighbor with the dog, has a limited knowledge of New Hampshire state or county law because fireworks are totally illegal in new hampshire it's like light fireworks or die is on their it's on their license plate everything's legal in new hampshire that's right they don't even have to wear seatbelts do they i don't know i don't know anymore all i know is that 
when you drive across the border from Vermont into New Hampshire, you know it's happening. Because in Vermont, you're on these wonderful, beautifully even, luxuriously funded state roads. And then you cross into New Hampshire, and it's just like you fall off a cliff into a canyon of potholes. There's just a sign that says, residents must know karate. (laughs) (laughs) The the sad thing is, if this person had made this non-anonymous, then they might have received an apology for their back and other injuries, physical and emotional. But the way they've done it, they're not going to be fulfilled by this either. It's a very bitter act. If you're writing a letter of complaint, as we have established... You can either express anger or you can express constructive criticism. This is a letter that expresses anger. And because it is unsigned, it is intimidating and scary. Now, I could see a situation where you would want to express even constructive criticism to a neighbor uh, where you might fear reprisal of some kind. And if that were case, that's an extenuating circumstance in which a letter might be unsigned. But don't give all these clues about who you are and who your dog is. That said, I have some critique for the other anonymous letter writer as well. One, fireworks drive dogs up a tree. We know that better now better than ever because there was just this rash of nightly fireworks in most urban cities for mysterious reasons and people with dogs, their dogs really suffer, you know. Uh, two, uh, if you live part-time in a state where fireworks are legal, such as, let's say, Maine, Augusta is the state capital, particularly if you're in Hancock County, noise travels and fireworks get shot off, uh, you should let your neighbors know that you're going to do it if you're going to fire off more than one. In this case, a, a fountain firework, pro- one fountain firework, I think you probably could get away with on your own property without getting pre-approval from your neighbors. But that just leads to my other critique of you, anonymous listener, whom I love in my heart, but still, fountain fireworks are the worst. Why would you waste a, a time, money, and, and neighborly goodwill on a fountain firework to begin with? Now, I'm deeply sorry that you are run out of town by anonymous accusations. That, that was a turn in this letter that I did not expect. That was a big, dramatic, novelistic turn. And, I am, and I'm very sorry that happened, and I can appreciate why an anonymous letter would, would traumatize you. But all the more reason that you should know that writing an anonymous letter itself is bad. Stand behind your words, whether you're writing to a podcast or whether you're talking to your neighbors. Especially if you're talking to your neighbors, you have to live near each other. I think that there's nothing you can do. This letter succeeded in its purpose of making you feel awful. You have to tear it up, put it behind you. Please stop at stop signs. That's probably a good idea. Even in New Hampshire, that's highly recommended. But try to put this past you and keep an eye out on your neighbors. See if you can figure out who it is. Finally, we have heard from a listener named Amelia who has a dispute with her parents. Here's what she says. Dear Judge Hodgman, my name is Amelia. I am nine years old. We listen to your show a lot and congratulations on your Webby Award. Thank Thank you, you, Amelia. That's very kind of you. 
During COVID-19, my parents are bickering a lot over meaningless things because we're cooped up together. Here's one example of a meaningless thing. My dad wants sliced pickles for putting on hamburgers, but my mom says the sliced pickles taste different. Also, she says buying whole pickles is better because you can slice them or spear them. My dad says, this is my favorite part of this whole thing. My dad says he just wants normal pickles that normal people oh. eat. Oh. Thank you for providing the direct quote there, Amelia. They've got such different life goals, her mom and dad. I know. They also bicker about my dad's water schemes. In case you were wondering if dad was the practical one. He freezes water and puts it in insulated cups. I'm not sure what that means. Also, mom uses the word task instead of chore. <laughs> Please tell me. Now that's when it becomes an omnibus uh, complaint right. here. <laughs> Please tell my parents to stop bickering about meaningless things. Helen, do you say task or chore? Sometimes both. I feel like oh. they're, they're words that can both belong in the lexicon. I, I don't understand the grievance there. But hang on, hang, hang on, hang on a second, Helen. Hang on a second. I have to talk to my wife. Kath, she says both task <laughs> and chore. Neither of us win. Damn it, Helen. Ah. Darn it, I'm sorry Helen. to come I between thought, you. I thought I was going to get a twofer today. All right. <laughs> we could, uh, if there's a third one, then that could be the important tiebreaker. All right. Um, what does Helen Saltzman feel about uh, sliced pickles versus whole pickles? Well, I feel a lot of things. One is, can this household not keep two jars of pickles? <laughs> one for the normal people and one for the whole pickle people um, who want the variety rather than just single-use pickle. Um, also, some advice from my mother about marriage is to choose your battles. Mm. You know, if you're going to kill each other, make it about something really worthwhile, not the pickle slices. And she has tolerated uh, an unhappy marriage for 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> Sage advice from Helen Saltzman. I'm going to say this. I do not normalize one form of pickle over another. Uh, a, sli a sliced pickle versus a whole pickle is like an audiobook versus a book. Equivalent experiences. But there is reason to have preference because you can't buy a whole pickle and slice it in the way those sliced pickles come with the ridges. Sliced pickles sometimes have little ridges in them. That's a difference. Well, you're talking about pickle chips. I think we're yeah. talking about sandwich slices, but you would have to have extraordinary knife skills to generate at home sandwich sliced pickles. That's cut flat the long way. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah that would either generate a huge amount of waste or just be extraordinarily difficult to do at home, even with a very sharp chef knife uh, or a mandoline or whatever. <laughs> I think Helen Saltzman is right. Pick your battles. Pickles, not worth it. Keep two jars. Freezing ice in insulated... I'm not sure even what's going on there. It sounds like they're just making ice cubes. Don't normalize pickles. They're, they're equivalent pickle experiences that are different and you need to honor them. And be like Helen, use task or chore interchangeably. Doesn't matter. But the point is, mom and dad, you're, you're hurting your daughter. Amelia's nine years old. She doesn't want to listen to you bicker. Not, knock it off. 
sit all sit down together, the three of you, and enjoy an Alan Ruck movie. I don't even know that Alan Ruck was on ten episodes of a reboot of The Exorcist in 2016. Uh, that's that's my evening sorted out. Helen, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for letting me help you save lives. I'm going to repeat my recommendation of Helen's work. Uh, Answer Me This, which I was introduced to many years ago when I uh, had dinner with Helen in London, England, in a very nice Indian restaurant. Um, And uh, she said, oh, I have a podcast, too. And I said to myself, oh, no. Oh, God. Uh, I have been a loyal listener of Answer Me This for many years. Uh, It's a wonderful show. Helen's co-host, Ollie, does a great job as well. Um, I think we can all agree, not as good as Helen, but uh, a great job nonetheless. (laughs) Ollie's really great. I've had lunch with him as well. Um, And uh, it's a show where they answer all kinds of questions from general knowledge, interesting information to etiquette to... Uh, advice and it's always a hoot and I always learn something when I listen and uh, The Allusionist is her show about the the unusual contours of language especially the English language and that is also a hoot Um, if you want to learn the history of bras through a lexicographical lens uh, then I recommend The Allusionist Um, and Veronica Mars Investigations (laughs) what can I say Veronica Mars, it's a fun show created by a guy named Rob Thomas, who's not that Rob Thomas, a different Rob Thomas. <laughs> There's room for more than one Rob Thomas in this life. Two jars of pickles is fine. Sliced and whole. There's the light rock Rob Thomas, and then there is uh, the super nice Rob Thomas, who uh, one time was on a live Sound of Young America in Los Angeles. I'm talking about 10, Veronica Mars was still on TV when it happened. It was 10, 12 years ago. And uh, he said, hey, listen, I can't make the early call. I'm going to be just on time. Uh, I've been in the little brother, the big brothers, big sisters program uh, for the last 15 years. And I'm going to my little brother's high school graduation. He's going to college next year. (laughs) And I said, yes, that is a great reason for you to be just on time for my live show you're doing out of the kindness of your heart at a 40 seat theater in Santa Monica. (laughs) Um, so Rob Thomas, nice Rob man. Thomas, nice man. Sliced or whole. You got to love a Rob. Our docket is now clear. That's it for another episode of Judge John Hodgman. Our producer is Jennifer Marmer. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesse Thorne and at Hodgman. We're on Instagram at Judge John Hodgman. Make sure to hashtag your Judge John Hodgman tweets, hashtag JJHO, and check out the Maximum Fun subreddit, maximumfun.reddit.com to discuss this episode. Submit your cases at maximumfun.org slash JJHO or email hodgman at maximumfun.org. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.